0: Welcome to Grace Church on a Wednesday night. It's wonderful to see all of you here and all of our students and um, children's staff that are typically elsewhere on Wednesday night joining us throughout the month of January. It's great to have you with us and to see all of you here tonight. As our ushers are preparing, um, I want to go ahead and make just a few announcements. First of all, uh, we do want to remind you again, students, remain with us uh, throughout the month of January. We also want to remind you about this little thing about uh, chocolate-covered strawberries for uh, Valentine's Day, some sweets for your sweetie, Um, but we really would love to see you guys push this as much as you can. This is a great fundraiser for She's for Christ. All of the proceeds do go to She's for Christ. None of that money stays here at Grace Church, but uh, at work, call in some favors, twist some arms, break some kneecaps. In Jesus' name, of course, but we want you to uh, do everything that you can to uh, promote this and and talk to family members and friends, uh, and and certainly at work, those of you that can, to help us sell and just raise more money for She's for Christ and for missions. We also want to remind you that on Saturday, January 18th, we will be hosting a beginner and junior Bible quiz tournament here at Grace Church at 9 o'clock in the morning definitely exciting and also on Saturday February 8th will be our annual ladies tea. And uh, if you would like to host a table ladies, we encourage you to go ahead and contact the church office and let them know. And as always you can stay up to date with things going on here at Grace Church via our church app or by just clicking on that events tab on the church webpage. Let's pray for our offering. Lord, we appreciate so much the opportunity that we have once again to be here in your house, to be able to open your word, to have your word put into us, Lord. And we also enjoy the fellowship with your people. We pray that you would take this offering that we give tonight and use it in your kingdom in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you as you give, as our ushers wait on you this evening. Before pastor comes, I just want to leave you with a, a very quick thought. In the book of Mark, In the first chapter, Jesus begins his earthly ministry, and he passes by a fishing boat, Brother Steve, and he calls a couple of guys named James and John, sons of Zebedee, and says, I want you to come with me. And the scripture says that they left their father in the boat to follow Jesus. They stopped what they were doing immediately to go with Jesus and follow him that was a huge step outside of their comfort zone because all they had ever known was fishing. It's what their family did. And Jesus said, I want you to come do something else. And they didn't have to pray about it. They didn't have to think about it. They didn't need to talk to anybody about it. They heard Jesus call them, and that call was enough for them to step outside of their comfort zone I like being comfortable, but Jesus didn't call us to be comfortable. He called us to do something with the gospel. And folks, I'm just going to tell you, stepping outside of your comfort zone is probably what it's going to take to realize his calling in your life. Don't know that you expected that this early on a Wednesday evening, but that word's for somebody. It might just be for Jason Cooper. God bless you. We love you. We're so glad that you're with us tonight. All of you that are joining us via Facebook and uh, live stream, thank you for being with us as well. I'm excited to hear what Pastor has for us tonight. God bless you.
1: Thank you, Brother Jason. And I uh, haven't done this in a long time. Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise it's kind of a blast from the past, kind of. Uh, great to see all of you. Thank you for being here. And um, uh, I am excited about Bible study tonight, and we'll be jumping right into it in just a moment. A couple of things I'd like to say. First, uh, I want to applaud our media booth this past Sunday. Um, I think there was a a little bit of a a glitch or complication with um, the things they had been given for Brother Holloway's message, and uh, they took care of it. I don't know what they did. But uh, it didn't look right at first, but then all of a sudden it got just as clear as the proverbial bell. And um, I'm very thankful for that, for folks that are astute and pays attention and do an excellent job. Let's give our production people a good some appreciation Thank you, Lord. And we are promoting the strawberries dipped in milk chocolate. And Sprinkle with something else. I'm not very good at promoting all this stuff. But if you can go to your co-workers and friends and family and whatnot, it would be huge. And uh, they're going to make a big mess having to make these, to get them chocolate covered and all that stuff. And um, are you all doing white chocolate as well? So they'll have like milk chocolate, white chocolate, uh, et cetera. So they're going to make a big mess doing it. So they might as well do a whole bunch of them. So uh, either way. It's going, to be, it's going to be awesome. So help us promote it. You can go to our website. There's a tab to order them. And uh, remind your friends and relatives about it. They can just go to the website and order what they need, and uh, it'll work out great. So uh, thank you so very much for that. I'm going to ask you to stand tonight for a moment. We need to have a moment of prayer for some very special needs tonight that are worthy of our prayer and faith. Uh, Cassie Crochet's great niece, her name is Brittany. Uh, she's in her 30s, and um, unless God intervenes, I understand her future's not looking that promising. So if y'all can pray about that, we would deeply, deeply appreciate it. And also, if we can pray for the tear families, this would be Brother Ben, Brother Brian. Uh, Brother Ben's mother passed away this week, it would be Brother brian tears grandmother and if we could remember them in prayer i know they would appreciate the prayers the support and the comfort of the holy ghost so uh let's pray for our bible study tonight that the lord would talk to our hearts let's talk to the lord right now father we love you tonight we're thankful for the privilege and opportunity to call on you in times of need i pray god that you would minister to these needs we pray for Brittany tonight You know more about this than anybody else does, and we know and understand the strength and power of your hand, at least to some degree. I do know that you can take care of this in just one touch of your hand, and I pray that you would do that tonight, that you would be glorified and edified in that family. We pray for the tears tonight, God, that you would be with them and comfort them during this time of bereavement and loss. Uh, We know how bad these things can feel, how it makes you feel, and I pray, God, that the Holy Ghost would be present and manifest with him over the days and weeks and months to come ahead. We ask it in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. You may be seated. I want to jump into our Bible study tonight, and uh, we introduced last Wednesday night What I'm calling twenty reasons not to sin. Give you twenty reasons not to sin. And so just for a quick review, I'm not going to review everything we said last Wednesday night, but there's a couple of things I want to touch on. Is the first four things that I mentioned to you last Wednesday night is answering the question, What is sin? What is it? So if you talk about committing sin, then it should have a definition. Well, the Bible gives it one. First of all, you have a, a sin that's called transgression. And that's where you it's an intentional act that goes against a law or a rule or a code of conduct. It's an offense. John said in his epistle in the New Testament that whosoever committeth committeth sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So a transgression is a form of sin that means you're breaking God's law, you're breaking God's rules, God's codes of conduct, and so on. Uh, then you have a trespass. You have transgression, then you have trespass. A trespass is when you, I'm going to make this simple, is when you commit sin inadvertently. didn't mean to do it. Uh, it just happened. Um... The biblical context, a trespass is going beyond the boundaries God has set inadvertently. However, it is still a sin. And then there's a terminology the Bible uses to define sin that's called iniquity. It's breaking God's law, etc., but it is doing it deliberately. It's when you know better and you do it anyway. The Bible says it's it's iniquity. Isaiah said, but your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear you. That's what iniquity does. It separates you when you do it deliberately. It separates you from God and it must be repented of as all sin does. And then there's sin itself. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The meaning of that is that if you're going to go to heaven, you're going to have to have divine help to get there. You will never able, never ever be able to get there on your own. The Bible also said that the wages of sin is death. We'll talk some about that tonight. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So to begin tonight, the fifth reason, I've given you four with the different types of sin the fifth reason tonight not to sin is that sin humiliates. Sin humiliates. In Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 1, the Bible said, Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. So it, it, it doesn't take much sin to destroy a person's life. Uh, I'm reminded of the illustration that actually I learned in school: that you can take a bucket of pure, clean water and drop a little particle of dirt in it, and it ruins the whole thing. But conversely, you can't take a bucket of mud and drop a drop of water in it, and it all comes clean. It don't work that way. And our sin separates us from God. And it causes God to hide his face from us. The Bible said that he will not hear. And it humiliates us. So bottom line, the devil, I want everybody to hear this, especially our our young folks, our students in here tonight. Satan loves to mock the human race. He does. He loves to see men and women, the pinnacle, the crowning jewel, if you will, of God's creation, putting needles in their arms, committing sexual sin, shooting and stabbing each other, begging for money from for another drink, dying of sexually transmitted diseases, tossing and turning in their guilt, wallowing in their shame, drowning in their embarrassment. The devil enjoys humiliating people. And by doing this to the human race, his bottom line effort is to humiliate God as well on the other hand Jesus loves to shower us with glory and honor and blessing he loves to work with people lift people up that's why he asks people to serve him he is the one true power and influence in our life that can literally make people better So I want everybody to understand sinning does not make you better In any context, sin is not going to make you a better person. I'll prove that in a little while. Number six, remember I'm giving you 20 reasons. Number six is sin steals joy. Let me tell you what joy is so that we never understand the importance of it. According to Theopedia, joy is a state of mind. It's an orientation of the heart. It is a settled state of contentment, confidence, and hope. That's what joy is. I'm going to say it again. It's a state of mind, an orientation of the heart. It's a settled state of contentment, confidence, and hope. That's what joy is. Joy is not walking around smiling and being happy. Walking around smiling and being happy is being happy. Don't get it confused with joy. Rick Warren said, joy is the settled assurance, the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. I think it's a tremendous definition of joy so when the bible said the joy of the lord is your strength that's what it is that's what it's trying to say the joy of the lord is your strength it's a state of mind and orientation of the heart it's a settled state of contentment confidence and hope you have that in the presence of god you will never get that out of sin The Bible goes on to say, in thy presence is fullness of joy, at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. The Bible goes on to say, a cheerful heart is good like a medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. Uh, One translation said in Proverbs 18, 14, the human spirit can endure a sick body, but who can bear it if the spirit is crushed? Sin bursts the bubble of joy. You have to understand that when you sin. It bursts your bubble of joy. It takes away that that state of mind, that contentment, that peace, that joy, that hope that everything's going to be all right. It takes away that ability to feel freedom to praise and to worship God in every situation. Sin takes that away. Sin bursts the bubble of joy and breaks communion with God. Joy is the most infallible, accurate foolproof sign of the presence of God I want to say that again joy is the most infallible accurate foolproof sign of the presence of God sin steals something that all the pleasure and all the money in the world cannot buy so what fleshly pleasure could possibly be worth such a loss Sin steals joy. And when you live in a continual, perpetual state of repentance, you come on church on Sunday and repent for what you did last week, and then you go do it again this coming week, and then you repent next Sunday, and you keep doing that, doing that, doing that. You never get to embrace that amazing state of mind, that orientation of the heart that everything is going to be okay and that I can praise God in every situation. So again, joy is not walking around with a smile on your face. It's what you have in your heart. It's what's embedded on the inside of you. And we need to understand that. And it can only come, joy like that can only come from being in the presence of God. For in his presence, there's fullness of joy. The seventh reason we should not sin is because sin steals our confidence before God. I'm so glad our students are in here tonight. I'm so glad you guys are in here. Sin steals all purity and innocence. Sin steals all purity and innocence. Making us uneasy with people when we're around people, when we want to engage people. It steals our confidence. It makes us uneasy with people and it makes us extremely uncomfortable with God. That's oftentimes why people can't bear just hardcore, true Bible teaching and preaching. It's too convicting. And in some cases, it's too condemning. Let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about tonight. Sin steals our confidence before God. Consider with me a man who just betrayed his best friend for the sake of a business deal and now he can't look him out of the eye. The new believer who got drunk last night and came to church for the next service drained of enthusiasm. The sweet sister in the Holy Ghost who has no power to rebuke the devil's attack because months of perverse TV shows have drained her of her spiritual authority. It's what sin does. So if you ever feel like you're in one of these situations or places that are applicable to you and your life, perhaps you'll know the reason. The devil doesn't flee from someone who is participating in sin. No matter how loud you pray, he don't flee when you're participating in sin. But the good news is that we can can live in such a way that we have confidence before God. I'd rather be confident than cowering. I'd rather be pressing forward than shrinking back. I'd rather... Be living clean and stand than standing condemned. I'd rather choose purity instead of being polluted. Sin steals our confidence before God. The eighth reason we should not sin is because the wages of sin is death. There's only one way in which sin is faithful, there's only one way. In which sin is faithful. Its reward is always death. Unfortunately, sin won't share that secret with you. Instead, sin will tell you that it'll promise riches, fame, pleasure, fulfillment, power. We've heard all of that. And while you may experience some of these along the way, they're only fleeting, lasting but just a few decades. And then the real payday comes, and the results are always the same. When you die with sin in your life, the death is both natural and spiritual. Actually, sin brings death right from the start. It always kills something in us when we transgress. It assaults our sensitivity. It trashes our conscience. It mauls our willpower. It defiles our soul. You could almost say that every time we sin, something in us dies. Then at the end of the road, sin pays up with eternal life. The Bible said, be not deceived. This scripture paralyzes me when I read it, figuratively speaking, of course. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh, of the flesh, reap corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. That's Bible concerning sin. Number eight, God will punish sinners. God will. He will punish sinners in this world and the world to come. Some of you may choose not to believe that, but hear me out for a moment. God has established unchangeable laws of sowing and reaping. You reap what you sow so that everything we do has consequences for better or for worse. For example, smoking can lead to lung cancer. Alcoholism leads to cirrhosis of the liver. Promiscuity can lead to STDs. The consequences alone should keep us from wanting to engage that stuff. I know somebody tonight that's dying due to one of these things because we're on live stream and whatnot. I can't go into any detail but I know someone tonight that's dying as a result of one of these things and they're not yet 50 that's what sin does this isn't a church going person this is a person that to my knowledge has never darkened a church door outside of their wedding that's what it does a lot of people think I can sin and sin and sin because we, God, is, we're living in a time of grace and I can do whatever I want. You can, and he will forgive you, but there's some decisions you can make that will have consequences for the rest of your life. So there's a lot of consequences to sin. One of them could be a prison sentence. For a lot of people, it's become that. But for even more people, the consequences of sin has become a broken home, a broken marriage, disillusioned kids. I've seen it for the years I've been in ministry where people make a decision to turn away from God, away from the church, etc. just not going to do it anymore. And I see where it leads. I've seen it for years and years and years where it leads. But all of that pales in comparison with God's holy judgment and who can stand when his gavel falls. I don't know how many of us even believe in heaven or hell anymore. Be very curious to know tonight. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you believe in either one of them. But according to the book, they exist. And when you die a sinful person, you'll be looking up for the rest of your life. The ninth reason that we should not want to sin is because when we sin, it hurts Jesus. Maybe the image of an angry, vengeful God doesn't mean much to you anymore. After all, you call yourself a Christian, right? But still engage in sinful things. Hell's flames don't scare us too much anymore. I think Hollywood's had a whole lot to do with that. I think hell has become a commodity. It's become an everyday word. A lot of people use it multiple times every day and have been kind of brainwashed into believing that it really doesn't exist. I used to work for Ravenhurst Funeral Home years ago, believe it or not, and um, I would drive the family car, the pallbearers Bear's car, and the Hearst. Yes, I did. I've been to funerals, and I have never been to one yet, of every faith or the absence of a Christian faith. And I've never heard anybody admit that there's any possibility that their loved one was not right with God. It didn't matter how they lived. It didn't matter what they did. It didn't matter what they didn't do. They all went to heaven. All of them. Everybody, when they die, according to our culture today, goes to heaven. That's not biblical. But if we can consider tonight, maybe this will help. When you sin, you wound Jesus. You Figuratively speaking, spit in his face and make a mockery of his love. How this should stop us from sinning. Can you imagine God's pain? John Bunyan said, sin is the dare of God's justice, the rape of his mercy, the jeer of his patience, the slight of his power, and the contempt of his love. Ray Bolts, the popular singer years ago, said, Does he still feel the nails every time I fail? Can I hear the crowd cry, Crucify again? Am I causing him pain? Then I know I've got to change. I just can't bear the thought of hurting him. So when you sin, it hurts Jesus. Everybody to hear me tonight, sin hurts the sinner The fact that sin hurts the Lord might help you to resist temptation when you're feeling spiritual. But what about the thought when you're feeling carnal? What about those times when spiritual thoughts don't motivate you in the least? That's when you need to remember that sin hurts you too as the sinner. Sin messes everything up. Cannot stress to you folks tonight how sin Is only to destroy. It don't help anybody. The eleventh thing is that sin hurts the sinner's family and friends. Please listen to pastor. Sin never stops with a sinner alone. There's always wider consequences. Parents, you can literally make or break your family by your lifestyle, your conduct, and your attitude towards God, the church, God's people, etc. Putting them through years of grief, Or pointing them to the solid rock called Jesus. As parents, you can literally make or break your family. By what you choose to do with your life in front of them. To our students in here tonight. You can show your peers that there really is a living God. Or you can live opposite of what your church teaches and preaches. Telling them that their sin is more real than your God. Could my example influence someone else? to give up on their relationship with God. Sin is highly infectious. I know people tonight who know the truth. They're born and raised in church. They've heard preaching all their life, teaching all their life, Bible study all their life, what have you. They're they're not serving God anymore. And now their friends, their good friends, are being led astray even more by them because they never mention it. They never bring it up. And so you can, knowing what you know, literally cause someone else to fail. I've had it happen to me. I've reached out to people. I've worked with people, taught Bible study to people, and then have a church person be around that person and sin blatantly in front of them that destroys everything I've tried to do. You need to think before you sin and i've given you a definition of sin and i'm not going to get in tonight into a bunch of do's and don'ts but if you have any experience with pentecost and the bible you pretty much know and there's three voices it tells you when you're sinning the word of god the spirit of god and your pastor it's going to be one of the three or all three or two of the three Whatever it is, when, you're, when you are around people that need God and you sin in front of them, you are an accomplice to their being lost. Sin brings reproach. Yes, it does. Sin brings reproach to the sinner, the person committing the sin. It brings reproach to the church and to the name of the Lord. When a Christian commits sin in public, it makes the church as a whole look bad. Y'all remember the era of time it seemed like it was, it was a cycle, man, that every time you turned on the news, another television evangelist did something really stupid and really inappropriate. Y'all remember that? What was it, back in the 70s and 80s, whenever it was, and come up with all these illegal schemes and money stuff and sexual stuff and all that kind of stuff. One of, this, one of these situations happened when we were pastoring in Youngstown and we were reaching out to a family. Um, my son, Marcus, went to school with the oldest boy. There are three boys in that family. My, my uh, Marcus went to school with the oldest one and had him come to church. So uh, they'd come every Sunday. They they lived close enough to our house as when we was having church in our living room and garage. They'd walk to church, walk around the block to church. So I went to visit their daddy. The mother wasn't present in the home. And uh, he said, I'm going to just tell you right now, preacher, I'm having nothing to do with religion anymore. I used to be XYZ religion, and I converted to the protestant faith and i spoke in tongues and what have you and i followed and he named this television evangelist and he does all this stuff and sins and all that kind of stuff it's a sham the whole god thing is a sham and i ain't going to church nowhere that's what sin does it ought to make people feel real happy that not only of you messing up your life now you're influencing the lives of the people around you uh need to be careful This isn't a joke or a game. So our foolishness, our compromise, our hypocrisy, our worldliness, and our sin can make the church look bad and make people not want to go. Our sin makes Jesus look bad too. Now because of some of his followers, now Jesus is associated with the sex scandals and the greed and all that stuff. You say, well, people work out their own soul salvation in fear and trembling. They, they, they should, and that's biblical. But my word, man, I don't think we ought to make it harder for them to do it. <clears throat> Jesus lived a life in a sin, uh, lived a sin-free life on this earth, and we can sure dirty his perfect reputation by sinning ourselves. Number 13. If I don't finish tonight, we'll do it next Wednesday. Sin makes light of the blood of Jesus. When you give in to sin, you willfully engage in the very things that cost Jesus his life. The Bible said in 1 Peter chapter 1, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation or conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but you were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So how can we betray that blood and what a slap in the face of God? The writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews ten twenty eight of how much sore punishment suppose you shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified and holy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace." Number 14, sin puts the sinner on the side of the devil, demons, and the world. There's a terrible war raging every single hour of every day with the forces of darkness assaulting all that is good. We know that. We see that every day. In good Christian America, we see it every day. Demons delight in causing pain hearing the terrified screams of a child being abused, seeing the tears at a funeral of a young boy accidentally killed in a gang shooting, the suicide of a teenager. Had a man in my home last week that said his best friend was planning their wedding this past weekend when that man's 14-year-old sister committed suicide. They were going on with the wedding, but obviously it was going to be a very sad sad event because of that 14 years old thought life isn't worth living the devil was having a hoorah of a time because of it at this very moment demon spirits are urging a prison guard who is torturing one of our brothers and sisters in christ perhaps elsewhere in the world that have been in prison for the cause of christ demons are urging them to abuse them and torture them for preaching the gospel. At this very moment, demon spirits are birthing another religion designed to deceive more and more people. At this very moment, demon spirits are seeking to afflict someone with depression, a terminal illness, or a hideous addiction. And when we sin, we join forces with that to become accomplices with the devil. Every day the world throbs with seductive power using every possible means to turn people's attention away from God. When we sin, we help fuel the fire of ungodliness. Demons call to us and we heed their call. They invite us to party with them and we accept their invitation and we become friends with the world and enemies with God. Is this too hardcore for you people? Number 15, sin sets the sinner against God, the church, holiness, life, blessing, and victory. There's no neutrality when it comes to spiritual things. Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 30, that he who is not with me is against me. So I not only sin against God, but I set myself against him. I'm working against the church and even the Holy Ghost. I'm making life harder. For my fellow believers, when I choose to sin in their company or in their knowledge, even our secret sins have public consequences. Yes, they do. There's a man in the Old Testament you can read about named Achan. He lost his entire family because of his greed. We are one body, folks, as a church. We're one body. Please don't sin against the church that I am so thankful to be a part of. Number 16, sin saps the anointing the anointing of God is a precious commodity that empowers us for action and service. Through it, God's kingdom is advanced. But sin can render the anointing ineffective as it literally poisons our whole spiritual system. No sinful pleasure, however special it may be, can possibly be worth losing the anointing. For a while, it appears that we can mess up and minister at the same time, but gradually... The pollution of sin in our lives only drives the Holy Spirit away. Worst of all, by destroying the anointing on one person's life, hundreds and even thousands who could have been blessed will have to turn elsewhere for that blessing. Don't squander your anointing by a habit of sinning. Number 17, this may sound a little bit different to you, but sin steals time. Yes, it does. Stolen goods can be replaced. Broken relationships can be restored. But wasted time can never be regained. Even in eternity can never be regained. Sin steals our time. First, there's the time it actually takes to sin. Whatever it is you do, it takes time to do it. Whether it be a minute or three days or six months, or a year. It takes time to sin. You could have been doing something else for God. You could have been spending time with your family. You could have been working on one of those projects you could have just finished by now. But instead, you chose to spend time sinning somewhere. So you've wasted that time. Any other use of your time would have been better and sometimes the consequences of our sin last for years and, 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 and months and even years. Second, there's the time it takes to get your heart right with God again. And I know God can forgive sin in a heartbeat and he does. But oftentimes it takes a while to rebuild, to reestablish, to be restored depending on the nature of the sin. Even though his time spent with the Lord is still wasted since... All you're doing is regaining lost ground. Um, One morning this week, I was running an errand to a place I'd not been in a long, long time, and I passed it up. And uh, to be honest with you, I really wasn't even paying attention. I don't know what I was thinking, Uh, probably about this Bible study, if the truth is known. But I just went right on down the road. Well, I had to make a U-turn. Well, I got to a place where I could make a U-turn. They had a sign that said no U-turn, so I had to pull into another place and turn around in their parking lot, come back out. The light up the street, had just turned, so I had to sit there and wait for all these cars to go by before I could pull out and get back on the path, headed back to where I was going to start with. I lost some time doing that. Have you ever done that? I heard recently about someone making a, a, a trip across the country and took the wrong exit and didn't realize it for about two hours later. So that meant two hours out of the way and then two hours back. That's four hours, man. That's a lot of driving. The heavy price and not paying attention sin is the same way and sin you have to make you make a lot of wrong turns and you have to double back third there's the time lost battling that same sin in the future since sin is so highly addictive and dangerously habit-forming instead of walking victoriously now you're bogged down with temptation was it worth it number 18 Sin does have eternal consequences. Your sin, affects, your sin affects people that admire you or look up to you as a role model. It can seriously affect their relationship with Jesus. This is especially true with parents. I plead with our parents to keep your head on straight. The effects of your sin can last forever in another person's life. You might make a comeback, but the other person may never make a comeback. The Bible said, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. So if you want to profess to be an example, you need to make sure you're the right example. Jesus said, whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me? It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. You know what that means? There's a criminal group of people that I won't identify by name tonight. But uh, if someone got in their way, they'd put their feet in a bucket and pour concrete in it and wait till it dries and take them a little on a little boat ride out in the middle of a river and throw them over the bo- overboard. That's what Jesus meant. A millstone, the ones that I've seen, are about three or four feet in diameter and weigh up to 2,000 pounds. Jesus said to offend a child who believes in him, to lead one astray would be better for you to tie one of them things around your neck and go jump in the ocean. You would plummet to the bottom and never be seen again. Jesus said that. That's how serious he is. We don't take it that serious, but he still means it. He hasn't changed his posture, not that I know of, that I'm aware of. Parents, remember that your children are watching your complacent, lethargic, lukewarm attitude about church. Number 19. This is hard right here. It's hard for a lot of people. It's hard for me, and it terrifies me. But your sin will always find you out. Sooner or later, it will. The Bible said in Numbers 32, verse 23, But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. In God's universe, nobody really gets away with anything. Paul said in 1 Timothy 5, 24, folks, I'm giving you scripture. Uh, I'm not just beating the air tonight and pulling this out of the air. I'm giving you Bible and verse. Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment. And some men they follow after. That simply means there's some people that will be exposed or found out. Everybody will see what they did. Everybody will know what they did. But then there's other people that's going to drag their sin to judgment with them. And then God's going to expose it. And that's going to be a tough, tough time. Brother Young told a story years ago when I was a teenager and I never forgot it. It It's about a man who had a dream. That uh, he had something sinful in his life, never wanted to get rid of it, never wanted to deal with it. I've never forgotten this story. And he had a dream, supposed to be a true story, that he died and was standing before God. And he, when he when just before he walked into the presence of God, of course, this is a dream. He realized that he had a little bit of sin in his life. When he looked down, he had a dark spot right here on his chest. And so he just put his hand over his chest to cover that spot and then walked into the presence of God so God couldn't see it. And God looked at the man and he said, do you love me? And the man said, God, you know I love you. He said, then why don't you lift your hands and worship me? And without thinking, he worshiped his hands and began to worship God, and his sin was exposed. It may not be exposed here, but it will be exposed there at some point. The Bible said, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. All of it will be brought to judgment." So if you're just playing games, only asking for forgiveness so you can go and sin again, deceiving yourself into thinking that your sin is not so bad or thinking that God will never punish you, remember, your sin will chase you down. Your sin will bring you down. So does it make any sense to sin? I've given you 20 reasons to say no. But just in case, or I've given you 19, here comes 20. But just in case you waver, here's the most important reason of all. Your sin could cost you your salvation and being right with God. I want everybody to hear it understand tonight. I want everybody here to understand. I've done this illustration several times before. But there's people, there are people here tonight. You don't believe what all everything that this book says. So this is what I want you to do. Go to the Bible bookstore and buy you one of those little Ward Bibles that cost about five bucks. You won't have to put out a lot of money. You cut out all the verses that you don't believe. And let that be your Bible. And when you die, you take that Bible with you to the judgment and hand it to Jesus and see what he says. You can't summarily take stuff out of this book just because you don't like it or you don't agree with it. It don't work that way. So so think of it that way, that when you say, well, I don't believe that. Okay, go get a Bible and cut that verse out. I've never had anybody do it to my knowledge. No one's ever done it, literally. I've never seen a Bible with stuff cut out of it. When you think about eternity and you listen to those saints rejoicing in heaven and they're free from pain and suffering, never to sorrow again, gazing on the face of Jesus, and then you listen to the cries of the damned, weeping and gnashing their teeth, tormented in fire, separated from God forever... ask you this question, what made the difference between a person going to heaven or hell? What made the difference? Sin did. God don't send people to hell. You can go there without anybody's help. So don't let it rob you of your eternal soul. Stand with me tonight. I want all of our students in here to understand I'm trying to help somebody here tonight. I'm trying to help myself. I'm not perfect by a long shot. I don't know who wrote the statement, but you'll see it on the screen. Sin will keep you longer than you intended to stay. It'll take you further than you intended to go and cost you more than you intended to spend. That's what sin does. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, and I'm done. If your right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body be cast into hell. If your right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it far from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. What Jesus is saying here is if you can't quit lusting about stuff that you see, and he said, just take your eyeball and just pluck it out. Don't go to the doctor and get anesthetic and go to sleep for a little while and let him take it out not what he said he said you pluck it out it'd be better for you to go to in eternity with one eye than to go to hell with all of your whole body intact I heard a preacher brother Goss preach this message on this one time and it terrified me as a teenager if you can't keep from stealing for example cut your hands off it's interesting that that's funny to some people but that's what Jesus said. There are some countries that do that. Keep you from stealing again. They don't. And it's not because they don't have any hands, it's because they're terrified. But he said, cut your hand off. Brother Fall said it's better for you to cut your hand off and just stick your hand in the dirt to keep from bleeding to death. It would be better to do that than to go to hell. So, tonight. I've given you 20 reasons not to do it, not to sin, but to serve God with all of your heart, with everything you have in you. And I trust tonight that if there's people here tonight that have issues in your life with sin, that you'll you'll deal with it, man, deal with it. Ain't nothing on this planet worth going to hell over. It's not, it's not, it's not worth it. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. The Bible, again, is not always... Just this big wad of cotton candy. The Bible is not a spoonful of sugar. The Bible tells it like it is. And God, the reason you wrote it that way is because you care. You care. You put it out there like it is. And it's because you care. It's because you love the world and you died to prevent people from being lost, from Just being addicted to sin, there's a way out of it. It's through the cross, it's through obeying what the Bible says. I pray God tonight, I pray God tonight that as kind and gentle as you are to all of us, that somehow this harsh reality would bury itself in the forefront of our mind that the next time we want to sin, at least we think about it. And God, for the things that we do that we didn't mean to do, I pray that we're quick to repent. I want to be right with God, I want to make heaven my home, God I want everybody here tonight to make that same choice, to do whatever it takes and I I still believe, I still believe that heaven's going to be cheap at any price, I still believe that, I know it's a sacrifice sometimes, I know we in our American way we give up things and, and we can't do things and and what and what not but it's 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 worth the discipleship it's worth following you it's worth leaving our fishing boat and following you whatever whatever we have to turn our back on it's worth it to ultimately be able to spend eternity with you and i know it's hard and for young people they think that they have years and years and years and years to get their life right and their heart right and and all of that. But God, we don't know that if we have years and years. And that's what bothers me. And I pray that you would help us all tonight. God, help your church. We're experiencing this wave of culture that's invading the church. And we're lethargic. And we're, some have lost passion and, and care and love and what have you. I pray for a revival tonight. God, I pray for a revival. That you would stir our heart again. To get us passionate about the gospel. Not just for our life, but those around us. I pray that you would stir our hearts, that we would take this Bible study to heart. I've not come to increase anybody's knowledge, but to have everybody understand in their heart tonight that there's consequences to the life we choose to live, both good and bad. Help us to make the right choice. Help us to make the right choice. I ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Thank you so much for being here tonight. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday. Shake friends and be handy. Uh, God bless. Y'all have a wonderful night tonight.